All right, sit back, relax. It's time for another Laneway Talks. All right, Rob, welcome to Laneway Talks and we are going to talk about um, the music industry and I think we could kind of start off with a question that you put to me is why you even have a podcast about music. So um, what's, yep. your, what's your opinion on that? Um, well, it's my question to you, um, really. The, the well, point I, of this- I think that, well, my, my opinion is that the um, the timelines between what it was like when there was CDs and vinyl and how you would market yourself and um, what has happened now with the digital world and and now we've moved to another level with AI involved. Um, and I will come to that later on because there's some huge issues evolving with yeah. AI being involved. Now, whether that be involved in the ridiculous um, thoughts that you can actually write a song with AI and I've, I've, we've had a real chuckle in the office when we when we tested a few of these things. It sounds like, you know, 30 years ago when you had the um, little chimes on your phone for messages on hold and yeah, yeah. and what what is evolving with AI with your marketing through social media, which is another minefield at the moment. So I think why I have something on music, there's so many either YouTube uh, videos or podcasts or whatever on music and they, mm. and they relate to certain areas. I think one thing that I've found is that because Laneway Music started and was essentially a heritage label and a reissue label. I love and, that too, and by then, the way. Too. Yeah, and there is, well, there isn't many uh, videos or podcasts, I think anyway, that cater for that. They might cater for classic rock and, you know, but, but that goes back to Iron Maiden and all these bands. So that's what they're talking yep. about. That's what they're classing as heritage rock or classic rock. But okay. there's, there's a whole underclass under that that did make a living out of music their whole lives because you could yeah. uh, 20 yeah. or 30 years ago, but um, nobody even knows about it anymore because they never had the profile. So I think it's really worthwhile. Of course, younger artists can always, and if they're stupid if they don't, they should always try and get something out of discussions like this. So there's, there's my take on why I even have a podcast about music. There's still plenty to talk about and plenty happening. Yeah, yes, I think I think if you, um, uh, if you look at our ages, and I'm 62, how old are you, Rob? 63. Right. So if you look at our ages, yep. are we too old? Well, I, from my perspective, I don't think I'm too old. I love music. I listen to it each day. I work with it each day. Um, I still play the drums. Um, you know, I wouldn't consider myself great anymore because I, I don't practice enough. Then I look at yourself and I go, well, you are a, a really accomplished drummer. You have gone to university and done uh, a degree and postgraduate work in music. So there's a wealth of knowledge there from your perspective. Um, mm-hmm. uh, let's be honest. Have you had the success in music? No, you have not. But could have you? Yeah, quite easily. If you were in the right band at the right time at the right place, there's no reason you couldn't have been in Metallica right now. So you... Circumstance. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's... And, and music is a bit of that, being at the right place at the right time and whatever, if you're a good musician, you know. Yeah, I mean, Neil Peart talks about that. He wrote a song about... That, but he said, you know, just because he 
finished up in rush. Yeah. Um, didn't mean that he was going to be successful. You know? yeah. I mean, he really worked hard at making all that happen, he said, but it was just a matter of circumstance that the original drummer left. Yeah, yeah. And um, he went for an audition in his, drove his, I think his mum's Pinto up to the audition and just went berserk and they loved him. So. Yeah. And, that, um, and that's life from there. I mean, you know, he was considered one of the best drummers in the world. Um, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, best rock drummers. Yeah, yeah. of course. So, I mean, I'm sitting here looking at, you know, like Keith Richards' book because I remember John Bon Jovi said in an interview that I heard once that, you know, when is it time? And he said, as in time to, you know, are you too old time? And he said, well, Keith Richards is the measuring stick. Yeah, you know, he, <laughs> he's still going. He's still playing. The Stones are still gigging. So yeah, that's, that's the measuring stick. You know, people just do it. There's a perception when you look at, say, some of our artists, and uh, I've got, I've, uh, for example, there's one band, the Durnham Project, and I promote them as uh, the oldest guys in the business. You know, still playing because okay. they, they, and I'm 62, and I'm saying they look like my grandpas, right? My grandpa. How old are they? Uh, well, I don't know. They're probably, you know, late 60s, early 70s, whatever, or, um, okay. you okay. know, something sure. like sure. that. But they look, when I look at them, they look fairly old, but you listen to them and it, they, they're fantastic and they do get they do get good response um, online. Yeah. Now, then you've got, for example, now the Buster Boys, which is keyboard player and the guitarist from Buster Brown, who've, you know, working on quite is a that lot right? of, yeah, who are working on quite a lot of projects, uh, but this is one particular one they put together, and they call it the Buster Boys. And that was such a great band. I'd oh, think. absolutely! And really, and, I have something to say. You know, that was oh yeah. That, that, well, you know, from, when I when I got that record, every song on that that album to me was a killer track. Probably the one killer track that didn't stand out for me. Uh, what one of the tracks didn't stand out as a killer track was the cover, Rock and Roll, uh, you know, Beethoven or whatever, um, Roll Over Beethoven. Well, right? I thought they did a good, good job of that, actually. Well, I, I think, no, they did a good job of it. but um, Play it dirty. <laughs> I didn't, yeah, I didn't, I don't see why they needed to do that when they wrote so many good original tracks on that album. And so... But wasn't it, um, I mean, because Lobby produced that, didn't he? And I think that a lot of bands of those time and that era, from what I can gather, um, they had to, they thought that they had to have a link that I'm people could relate you. to. You are completely on the number. There's no doubt about it that they felt that they needed to have one of those pub rock blue rhythm and blues songs or blues songs yeah, or whatever. that people could relate to. Yeah, yeah. With, it's a 12-bar blue, you know. And so I, right. I, I do get it. And if you go back to the time, it was probably really relevant. And I still like the song. I'm just saying it was the little bit of a letdown on the album for me because yeah, each, I each it. song was fantastic. Angry's lyrics and the stories, I mean, it felt to me as though it was a narrative that I could relate to, um, mm. you know, the stories of, you know, going out and what does he refer to a guitar as buying your dream maker, which is your instrument, and just going out and doing it despite, you know, it probably meaning not a lot to a lot of people. But, well, you know. well, there's our difference is you listen to the lyrics, I don't listen to the lyrics, I listen to the <laughs> music and the vocal, the lyric itself means absolutely nothing to me, but... Uh, Is that right? What, yeah, what what came out in that record for me, which still stands out today and I can remember as clear as day from word go, was the clarity of the recording, which is actually yeah. a bit um, 
a bit different for Lobby, and I, I knew Lobby. Quite, I've worked with him yeah. quite a bit, and it was a crystal clear sound. That album, yeah. it's yeah. crystal clear, you know. And you can imagine they wouldn't have spent many bucks on it. So, um, yeah. if I, I mean, it was my gateway to Phil Rudd. Yes, I, yeah, I yeah. I think his, yep. his playing, yeah, was very expressive and yeah. not so much experimental, but he was overplaying, which I love drummers doing that, but it's not so much called for in later styles of rock. It's like, you know, keep it simple. Well, he wasn't a complicated but, drummer, was he? Well, he could be if he wanted to be, well, but he didn't have to be. Well, interestingly, I've never heard him as a complicated drummer. Well, yeah, I mean, in um, something to say, there's quite a few different parts on that album that have some very complicated drumming in it. And there's a couple of... Well, it's interesting because you are a drumming teacher. So I've, I found I practised to that record a million yeah. times in my youth, right? Yeah. And I found it an extremely easy album to practice to, right? Now, you put that up against I would practice to at my height when I, you know, I was just drumming all all week, every night, and I would practice to Neil Peart, all right? And I'd really have a good crack What at song? It. Hey? What song? I mean, I was playing through um, <laughs> subdivisions last night. Yeah, yeah, no, well, see, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it now, of course. I just can't. But yeah. I'm just saying that I found that um, practising to Buster Brown I found really easy and that's why I'm interested to see how, and you being a drumming teacher, to go he was actually, he could be quite complicated. But I suppose in different ways, not in that way of Neil Pert, would you yeah, I think that the, the time thing, the, the space and the gaps that yep. they leave in the accent, yep. I think of something to say, you know, that yep. um, there's the break between when it goes into the standard groove yeah, of the song because yep. they've got this really prog intro with the keyboard yep. thing that the way the song starts. Yeah. And, and it's really progressive. And then they go into the sort of the, the standard rock and roll fair after that. And then it goes into the groove. It's really spicy, really accurate, super yeah, clean, yeah, you know, yeah, which is yeah, everything yeah. Phil Rudd is. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean on that particular song. I mean, I song saw um, Lars was doing an interview um, the other night that I saw and they were grilling him about who the best drummer in the world was. And, you know, and I went, oh, you know, it's got to be Bonham or, he's, you know, is it Neil Peart? And he said, well, you've got to add other guys in there. And, you know, the other guy was Ian Pace and he said, and there's another guy, Phil Rudd. Right. Um, that are in there. So it was interesting for Lars to bring Phil yeah. Rudd up. Yeah, that, yeah, You know, because yeah. I think that's it's nice to get a bit of a tick for, well, I mean, he's from New Zealand, but, you know, a so-called Australian drummer from an Australian band, you know. Well, I'll... I'll... It's, I'll pull it back a bit. I'll go back to yep. where we started, which was the Buster Boys. Sorry. And no, 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 yep. no. The, you know, that's what we're here to do is to flesh it yep. out. And um, what you can find with the Buster Boys is there's a, just a lot of Buster Brown in there, of course. And you've got Chris Wilson on keyboards, who was the keyboard player, and you've got um, John Moon on guitar. Okay. And John Moon played with everybody and anybody throughout his whole career. Now, then you you look at the video and I, I want you after, you know, after this to go and have a look at the video on our YouTube channel and it's a bunch of old guys. Well, I'm one of those old guys, but um, but <laughs> not in that, but, you know, I'm, uh, you know, but I look at it and go, oh, you know, how, because I'm conditioned in we're marketing to a young audience, which is just not the case. Now, there is that, that there is a young audience that will, um, uh, affiliate themselves with some of these old musicians because they go, wow, 
and but I don't know that that's really big. And then what we've started to notice at Laneway Music um, is that lately there's been some great older artists that are being marketed and doing well. And so we've just started to push that. We're testing it with that. It's a bit different uh, in the way we're, we're marketing it and going about it to see what the results and the analytics will be like. And it will be very interesting okay. in a couple of weeks. We'll talk about it yeah. and and see what comes out of it because um, I'll tell you one that I picked up on it this morning um, and that's what we, you know, every day, first thing we do when we, uh, you know, get in the office is we check analytics. That's number one. And with that Buster Boys, uh, what's it called? It's called, um, oh, I'll, I'll get it anyway. Uh, it's uh, actually, I'll tell you what it's called right now. It's called that particular song, Good Times, and they've got three videos out, but they've got a whole album. Anyway, what okay. what we noticed with the analytics was that it was trending to women 54 and above three times more than males in that age category. It's kind of really unusual because I can assure you most of everything we put out has a male skew to it. I don't know why, uh, and I can't work that out. Um, it has a male. Well, you know, the, the nature of the music is. Well, you that, see, but you're saying that, but then you listen to this and think Buster Brown, right? Yeah. And it's got this female skew, but from 54 onwards, not underneath that. So after that you're getting it and you're getting three times the amount. So there's some crazy analytics that you kind of got to get out of all this and see, well, who are we marketing to? I mean, that to me would suggest that 54 plus we market really solely to women. And so, you know, I think uh, does that come back to a uh, women find them attractive because we're old or whatever or is there something like that in it? Anyway, the really good analytics to look at, to, to look at that. Now, the other thing I wanted to say was how many years' experience is there between the two of us? So I've been doing this for a good 30 years, 60, 30 no more, 35 okay. years, right? And you've been doing it the same, really. And so... Well, yeah, I mean, I started when I was eight, so... You know, I realise that, but let's go from the in- industry perspective. So I say from when I started, I don't know, yeah. working at... I mean, 82. Mushroom. Yeah. yeah. Mine was about... 82 80, when I... Mine was 84, Okay. So we've got about 60 or 70 years' experience between the two of us. Now, let's uh, let's look at the background. So um, uh, where did you go? Was yours first at uh, Brashes? Work, in working? Working, yeah, yeah, working. Not- I mean, I toured for like three years before Right. all of that. Okay. So you've gone more from that, so touring to, say, Brashes and then retail in music, yeah, for many years? Yeah, I mean, I was... I was in retail. I had my own store in 78. Yeah. And we had the PA hire shop next door. And yep. I was going out sort of moonlighting doing gigs. And um, in the last podcast, you know, I sort of went through how all that happened. And then I closed the shop yep. that I had and then joined the modes. And we just started touring. And that was in December 82. And we just, yeah, for me, that was just full tilt for two years nonstop. Well, you know, um, because that's a different, you've got, I know nothing about retail, absolutely nothing. So, and it's, okay. so, you know, 
so then so if you've done that and you've done you know a, a lot of the touring and whatever and yeah. then you've got the teaching which again I know nothing about yeah I mean that, that uh, came sort of after for me so. no really no but um, it's it, but it's within your experience you, you know we're talking here about our whole experience right um, yeah yeah no no of course but yeah. I mean it came in the process of steps you know it was like because I played in a band people would come up and ask me if I taught yeah and I kind of went oh not really but you know, um, because I like what I did and the music that I played. Well, so, well I mean, uh, but if if everybody listening, it, you know, Rob has a book out on on drumming, so it's become a you know a big part of your life. Teaching, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my whole study for the past ten years. I mean, I've just completed my doctorate and passed yep. my examination. Yep. So a couple of examiners would like to release it as a book, so yep. my thesis. So yeah. there's another book sort of in the wind. So, see, so, see, so, 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 what I get from you, you've got this, you've got this, uh, you know, playing live, you've got this retail experience, you've got tutoring, you've got hmm. education. Okay, so there's a, yeah. a good wide um, experience here. Now, I, yeah, I've got the uh, touring stuff, done that. I've got no retail experience. I've got no tutoring experience. You know, in, uh, teaching, and my education is completely different. So, no education in music as such. All right, and that's a very specialised area. So you've got that. So if I go back to me, it's um yeah yeah I was playing since you know about nine years old. Uh, when I w- started work, I started working in a life insurance business. Uh, you know, as an accountant because I I there you go. I did a, a, a dual economics commerce degree, and I did that, and and I thoroughly loved it because I loved doing tax, and I was in the tax division. So goodness. I found that very interesting. But within two years, I'd gone to work for Michael uh, Gadinsky. Yeah. So I didn't yeah. last too, too long there. And uh, um, I went to work for Michael and, again, in accounting. And then from there I went to Network 10 and, again, as in finance, as a financial controller for production for the okay. network. And from there I went to Crawford's, I only lasted a year at Crawford Productions, which a lot of younger people won't know what it is, but was the Australian premier television production house. They were, yeah. And, um, Madlock. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. You know, uh, <laughs> just so much, you know, um, uh, the, like Su- the, Su- the Sullivans, you know. Uh, Love that show. Yeah. So uh, then from yeah. there I only lasted, was just on 12 months and, you know, those stories have been, you know, people go, oh, I was poached. Well, I, was, I got a phone call one day from a from an employment agency. Uh, I think it was Michael Page. Oh, wow. And a, uh, the guy rang me and I must have gone in for a job many years earlier, you know, and uh, he must have my name on his files and he just said, look, uh, you know, uh, yeah, 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 you're Vince, yep. And we went through my background a bit and he goes, look, I've got this job I think it'd be perfect for you and I want to put you forward for it. So then he told it was shock, shock. Now, I didn't know much about shock music uh, or shock entertainment as we then called it in the end. And um, okay. shock shock were uh, the uh, independent distributors, right? And that's what they did. The shock records? Or? Shock records, yeah. Shock yeah, records, okay. right? Yeah. And um, and so I, I went down and, you know, I uh, – I uh, got interviewed and got the job. But what I'd um, found when I went in and started working there were they were in much more serious 
position financially than anybody had let on. Anyway, we, we worked on that for many years. We got to a point where we were turning over about $130 million. At, and uh, so what happened was we got that company up to about $130 million as finance yep. director by that stage and, wow. uh, and we were at the time bigger than Warner Music. And, um, and then from there uh, I got a, a call from Michael Gadinsky again who I hadn't seen in years and quite frankly we weren't friendly because we were the opposition and we were powering ahead. You know, Mushroom were nowhere near our size. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, to say he, he really had an issue with the label and, you know, and we, we were so strong in that area. Just wonder. Yeah, you know, and, would, you know, could we talk? So we, the funny thing was I ended up meeting with him, a clandestine meeting in Chapel Street at a goulash <laughs> restaurant <laughs> in the morning, at 10 o'clock in the morning. And the first thing he says is, "Do you want a uh, do you want a morning elixir?" You know, and he's got a vodka. I go, I just go, "Are you insane?" <laughs> yeah, not a, not a chance. And that's where yeah. we we um, we uh, developed. Well, no, we established that you know, I would come across, and it was uh, liberated music, and I'd bring over a guy called Nick Dunshay with me. Of course, Nick Dunshay now who's still there. Says he was the uh, he was the guy that established Liberator Music. Of course, that's just simply not true. But people embellish everything when they. Um, yeah. Well, they do. It's a, you know, so objectivity is. The- yeah, and so you know, and that was and that was that. And then I was with Michael, and then after that, we we had a falling out, and um, and essentially, uh, I started um, uh, Laneway Music, and there was third verse prior to that. It didn't work out with a few other guys. Yeah. And okay. we and we started Laneway Music. Now, so it's it's oh, and, and in between all of that, I you know I was on the board of MCM, which was a radio networking syndication. So we used to syndicate across um, uh, Triple M and all those stations. You know, we'd make shows yeah. for them. So uh, I was on the board. We were a public company, and uh, I was there. And there were several other companies, and I was across all the companies in Mushroom too. So. It's been entertainment every step of the way. Nothing's ever changed. So when you put that – now, remember, mine was more from the business side, although towards the end I got towards the creative side, but it was really mostly the business side. And you, to me, have a more the um, – the it is the creative side because of the tutoring of drumming and then that full-on education in music mm. – and that is, as I said earlier, a very specialised educational area. Um, so I think there's our backgrounds. Um, so, you know, I want to ask you right now, what's your take on the music business at this point in time? Um, I mean, it's, you know, is it educated opinion? I really try and stay open to, I mean, I still work at the shop. I've been working at uh, Derringer's drum shop in Adelaide more now that I've finished uni I've completed my PhD yeah um, and I just the guys that I work with are incredibly talented drummers they're young guys they're all working incredibly hard they're doing lots of gigs um, and I hear all this conversation around you know and I still gig with you know bands I've been doing gigs with local guys over here and a lot of people that I gig with are doing multiple gigs at multiple different in different states but there's yeah. a lot of work around at the moment so 
I try to base it on what I actually see and hear that these people are doing and what we're doing. And it seems that there's a lot more work. There's a lot of negative, oh, you know, it's not the same. Oh, no, it's not. But the young guys are just killing it. They've got lots of shows. They're releasing lots of products. They can all, you know, they live for recording. They live for writing. So it seems really healthy. And from a retail perspective, we can't get enough drums. We're just selling so many instruments. It's Mm. just, you know, they they say, oh, you know, people haven't got money and interest rates are up and economic factors. And, you know, my boss there even says the same thing, you know, the economic downturn. I said, well, behind the counter, people are forking out cash for instruments. So hand over fist at the moment. I know it's Christmas, but it looks really healthy and there's a lot of hope out there. Um, and it, and it's not and none of it's cheap. I mean, even just buying drumsticks. If I go in to buy drumsticks, I always buy at least a half a dozen pairs at once. And yeah, then it's not cheap, you know. No, well, I mean, sticks now are thirty two ninety five a pair. Mm. You know, I, I mean, that's for hickory sticks. There was a guy came in and bought Japanese oak sticks, which mm. Primark mate. You're saying they're forty five bucks for yeah. a pair of drumsticks. Yeah, yeah. And I, I kind of went, whoa, where did that come from? Um, I know materials are getting more expensive. COVID made the freight companies just explode. Um, that's the biggest cost factor that I've noticed increase. And but that goes into manufacturing, and then you know people want the mm, wages put yeah. up, and so the cost of everything's going up. But people are still spending the money. Yeah, no, um, no. and guys are just still gigging. You know, fans are still writing music, and everyone's sort of playing. So it seems positive. I think what it, what you're telling me is that the creativity is still out there because Absolutely. that all comes with creativity and pe- and artists wanting yeah. to be creative. So that's still out there and it's as uh, vibrant as ever. From our perspective on a digital uh, ba- uh, platform or from a digital perspective, things are as good as they've ever been. The amount of new music coming out, as we all know, is, I don't know, whatever they spout, you know, someone spouts, you know, I don't know. Hundred thousand songs yeah, a day or something, you know, is it true or isn't it? But but that's creative, and uh, I put together, for example, I put together a um, I don't know if you saw it on our Facebook page, a new blues playlist which I'm just toying around with, and I called yeah. it Deep South with a Blues Twist. And who cares? That's just the name I came up with. But why I did it was because I. Uh, and I don't like to say Spotify, but yeah, I did. I did get my inspiration off Spotify because they'd suggested a whole heap of tracks to me personally off my listening, um, you know, analytics. Yep. And I'd gotten to a lot of these bands that were alternative blues rock bands or artists, and I started listening to them all, and they're blowing me away. Yeah, there was, and the thing was that they were a myriad of age brackets. So you were going from young artists to, oh, you know, I'm not going to say old artists, but, you know, in their 40s. And so it just blew me away the calibre and the alternative sound that they were bringing with this blues twist. So I started this, um, and you know, this playlist and I'm going to keep developing it now and trying to find artists that you've never heard of. And a lot of them got only 2,000 streams, a lot of them have got, 200,000 streams a month or whatever. And what that tells me is, wow, it's as vibrant as ever with the creativity that comes in that, say, let's call it that genre, but that will go across all genres. So digital, the digital platforms have given a wide berth, I think, to a lot of artists. Now, of course, 
they're not earning any money and we know that's the big twist. Now, and I'm going to talk to you a lot about that in the coming weeks because you've got the education background. I've got, I suppose, the business background on uh, all the analytics that's going on with this. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we've got to, it's going to be interesting coming up with a solution. What will, uh, first, a solution, but uh, trying to decipher first why it's happening and why they're not getting paid. So if you got 10,000 streams, you'll get virtually nothing. Um, and that's a lot of streams. So know. that comes back to the original question that we started with. Is that's one of the main reasons that we're here is to there you go. So investigate it, those yeah. problems. Yeah, and, and I think that's a, or that's issues a good, or, yeah, good point to make because, you know, I hear it all too often. Uh, what's what's the use? You know, we get paid nothing. Well, yeah, that will be the case, and it will be worse from two in two weeks' time, from the first of January, with Spotify. So, but there, there, is it naive to say that there, there must be a fix, or there must be a way to navigate through this I th- for musicians? I think that what uh, what will happen? I think the death knell for Spotify will will happen over the next five years. You know, their yeah, dom- I mean, you were dominance that. will go down. I think. Um, what? Yeah. So let's give an example of what Laneway thinks. Well, we we thought a couple of years ago this is just unacceptable. We can't make any money, and if we can't make any money, the artists can't make any money, and so the whole thing just collapses. So we had to think of alternatives. What's the cause of that, though? Coming well, back to that original. Well, that's issue. Spotify and. Is that because the majors own the yeah, major percentage? 70%. Spotify. 70%. Have they, yeah. have they come in after the fact, though? Yeah, absolutely. Have they sort of jumped on the bandwagon and said, oh, look, Spotify's taken off. We need to own this? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a, that's the top end of town, which has always been the, the issue, right? Like yeah, I've every, reading. everything they're doing. So if you think about it, if they own the majority of Spotify <clears throat> and um, – and they've now, Spotify have now decided, well, if you don't get a 1,000 streams, you don't get any money, even two cents. And what that does allocates, I don't know, $500 million more to... Yeah, I mean, the, the, my head just falls over when you start to talk about numbers like that. I, I try and come pull it back to the central issue. Is like, mm. how can we... The, the key to any of this is, and I'll quote Marsha Langton, I went to a seminar last week or a couple of weeks ago at uni, um, Musicologist Society of Australia had a seminar at the University of Adelaide a couple of weeks ago and Marshall Langton was saying the key to anything of these sorts of issues is education. I think people need to be educated from the ne- negative aspects or they don't realise what they can actually do to change what's going on. So I think when I say I'm trying to understand how Spotify are essentially what you're saying, taking everything away and there's a potential that it's going to get worse. How do well, we rectify well, that? Well, I think that's too music orientated. So I don't believe what he told you and in the least. Gee. I don't, don't believe it at all, right? And I think that is a music, res- music industry response and the answer is society and economics and it is a situation that exists out there in business. Business, big business, does not care about the numbers. They care about what the top 10% of the executives will earn and that they are geniuses and, you know, they're, they're the ones who are going to make the millions and that there is no real love for the product that they're selling. And I yeah, think but I mean, yeah, I, I get all that. But at the end of the day, what can we do about it as musicians? Oh, I think, well, I, I, I think, for example, uh, well, I, 
I don't know so much about musicians, but and that might come more from your perspective, and I'll give you what I think from Laneway, and we we decided 18 months ago that we, we had to come up with a solution. Our solution is Laneway Red, which we'll launch hopefully in February, and I've talked yep. to you about okay. it before, and it will first start out, and it's basically just a band camp, right, but it, it more becomes a complete music ecosystem and it will grow and flourish uh, over the 12 months. It will first go out with downloads, which you do on, you know, um, Bandcamp, SoundCloud and whatever. But we can, okay. we will market that directly for our artists and push them. But you're, you're still using the medium of Spotify, which is essentially the enemy, right? Uh, no. So what do you mean the medium of Spotify? What do you mean by that? Well, isn't that coming out through Spotify? No, 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 no. We will. We are launching our own platform. We've been. Oh, okay. We've I, been I working. I thought you said it was coming out through Spotify. No, okay. not 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 Laneway Red. So um, that will be its own platform. It will be just like a Bandcamp or SoundCloud, right? But there'll be no costs to the artists whatsoever. We've we've come to that where Bandcamp. Other than time. Uh, well, well, yeah, but hold on. There's you know you don't pay for Bandcamp, but you do pay for SoundCloud, and then if with uh, I think there's some charges in Bandcamp somewhere in there, but okay. but ours will be firstly for downloads, and we do do a lot of downloads with our stuff. And but I don't know why people would do that anymore. And then what we're going to develop it for is uh, we there's you know there's ticketing, there's merch, there's communicating with your fans, all that kind of stuff in there. But yeah. it will once we get the advertising happening, uh, we will then go out directly with a very um, transparent formula for paying you, the artist, say it's Virgin Soldiers, for the streams that you get for the ads that were placed on your page, okay? So it becomes very transparent. So if I, okay. we got a dollar, you know, you know, we may be, and and we haven't come up with a percentage yet, but it may be that we, we do a 50-50 split straight away with you. Now that's, you know, with Spotify and all that, you'd be lucky to get 0.0001 of a percent. Okay, because they've got to pay. Their- yeah, I, I still, as I said, I don't, I can't fathom those equations, mm. and I do, it doesn't make any sense in my mind how so, they well, justify that. Well, what know. we're trying to do is we're trying to make sure that what we're going to show is is going to be very transparent. Okay, to the artist. So we'll see how that all transpires over the next twelve months. We're just mm-hmm. about there. We've just purchased all our equipment, which has cost in the tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars and, you know, servers and know, switches and, I don't know, raid arrays and all that kind of stuff. Um, okay. And so that's all just been done. Then there's the, the hiring of the sites, you know, where you put it all in, it's costing a fortune. So we're getting ready for all of that and yeah. so it's it's only around the corner. Now, of course, it'd be more mobile-based, but it'll be yeah. it's based on the PC, but, on the mobile, it works fantastic. So, what we're saying is that we we're going to go it out ourselves. We will always still have everything on all those other platforms. So that's just incremental income, and hopefully, we will develop more income for our artists. Now, why why would it be any different? Why would anybody even want to come onto our site? Well, firstly, it's going to be populated with twenty thousand songs, which we own. So that'll be Virgin Soldiers and whatever. Okay, that goes there. So if you go on to Bandcamp um, okay. and you have a listen to some new music on there, uh, it'll blow you away how bad it is. I don't know if you've gone on there. No, I, I don't think it would. Yeah. I, and you, 
you get some new music and you go, are you serious? Why would anybody even profile this? It's so bad. So, but there's some really good stuff on there too. And so when... I mean, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, I suppose. No, absolutely, yeah. Um, but unfortunately, when you've got to market something, you'll market what the masses will have been conditioned to like because that's just the way it works and you can't change that. Yeah, I, I think that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that statement. Yeah. Um, Absolutely it is and how they've been conditioned. So so if we if we say that it's populated with some first-class music, that's the number one reason people will go to it and we will really promote the hell out of it. But then there's stuff on there that which you can't do right now. So if you have people streaming your music on there or buying your music or if you're, I don't know, discussing stuff on there and you got their email, of course email is king, we will be able to go out directly to your fans. Now, right now, Spotify are exper- uh, exper- experimenting with that in three countries and doing their what they call their marquee marketing and mm-hmm. we haven't got it in Australia. And, you know, it's like when you go in there, if I see Virgin Soldiers and I see that most people who are listening to Virgin Soldiers uh, are listening to, because it tells you, Oh, well, your, your fans also listen mostly to Metallica and Iron Maiden and whatever. So I'm using those as examples. I should be able yep. to market directly to those people on Spotify, but you can't. They're only experimenting with it. They, they could have come up with that five years ago and they didn't. And why don't they? Because they don't want to give you that data because that's just too easy. Then you'd have all these bands, little bands, trying to go on the coattails of Metallica. As well as you know, when you hear a band that's, an, you know, uh, a little band but they say, let's say Dirty Honey, I don't know if you've listened to them or whatever, uh, or Goodbye uh, J- uh, June, these bands are just fantastic but they haven't got the profiles. Yeah. But they but they could quite easily if I, you were listening to Metallica and they suggested that to you, but they don't. They don't do it. Right, and you can't I get mean, directly to that audience. You can't get yeah. there. I mean, there's a, yeah, a couple of bands. I mean, Stone Trip are one of them. They're doing a mighty job, a Melbourne band at the moment, and Carly Jewel. You know, they're, they're two great artists that are out there, and I know that you know they're, they're doing well. But trying to get through, you know, when you you know you sort of say Metallica is a big leap, you've got all these other hard rock bands out there, especially Melbourne, and I don't know what's happening in Sydney, but um, Melbourne. Seems still to be the epicenter well, of that I style think, of music. Uh, and what happened? I think Stone Tripper. I think they're with Golden Robot, so they should be. They should be doing okay. I mean, you still need to be with a label. There is no doubt about it. But you, you not with a distributor. So you know, people might say, "Well, Laneway's a distributor." Now we are a label too because we spend money yeah. on acts yeah. that we think uh, deserve that spend. And why would they deserve that spend if they're prolific? So they're putting out a lot of product and they're doing gigs and, you know, they're working it themselves. We have other acts that all they're doing is just putting out the music, but they do nothing else. Well, that's a complete yeah. waste of time for us. And I mean, I, You know, Nothing Sacred is another one. I mean, they've been touring and doing supports at the moment and releasing new music. You know, they're, they're doing it on um, different independent platforms. But, mm, um, mm. You know, I mean, that's the... The beauty of social media, and you get to actually see that. I think that's the. I think. Look, I think. I think so. You were on what? What I found with individual artists, and especially the more mature artists, is they may do some social media, but it's basic. 
social media, it's nowhere near good enough to get out yeah, there. I think that's, that's an education process for the yeah. older generation. Yeah. So that's what I was coming back to that original comment um, about people need to be educated on how to do that. Ah, okay. But, now I'm getting the connection where you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. That That's the educational aspect of like, well, all right, well, how do I promote my band through social media without it turning into a complete nightmare of, uh, you know, technological <laughs> numptiness? You know, it's, it's, it's difficult for a lot of older people because they haven't grown up with the technology. It's virtually unattainable, mate. I'm going to tell you right now. No, I don't... I don't think it is. I think it's just a, a matter of working it out. Like just that's where um, we that's where we'll differ, and it's where we work in that space a lot. And yeah. it's so complicated now, and it's changing at a rate of knots that us who are using it each day and spending a lot of money on it too, um, yeah, it it changes. I'm on chats with because we have um, people that look after us with Google and with Meta. And it is so complicated, I just sit there sometimes and think uh, an artist hasn't got a hope. Now, if you yeah. if you go down to the, and this is our opinion and then I want yours, is if you go down to a, a band who are 20, 22, 23 in that age bracket, it's a completely different set of tools because they don't need the intricacies of that depth of what you can do with your marketing in social media because they're so good at it anyway. They live on the phone. They live with social media. It is their form of conversing with all their friends and then their fans. Yeah, absolutely. All right? So whereas the older ones just don't do it as much and if they do it, it's clunky. And so they need... They need the depth of the marketing abilities of the Metas and the Googles and whatever. But to actually get into it and really do it, to me, I'm telling you, I think it is quite unattainable for them because to be creative, to then get gigs and to be themselves and, you know, do what they've got to do to be the musician and then to do all of that is just way too much work. Uh, See, that's where I basically go to you need help with something like that and you go AI. Is probably the smartest, quickest, straight line all the way through it. So why don't they use AI for the power of good for helping older musicians understand how to get out there and get marketed? I mean, there's a really good question for an AI chatbot. Well, AI is a real issue at the moment. I'm going to bring that up in another discussion uh, uh, in coming weeks. Yeah, yeah. It is I mean, a I was, real problem was, right now. I was watching Joe Walsh. <clears throat> he doesn't care about AI because it's not human. So why would you even bother that, you know, well, well I'm going to put it in the business sense and not from the creative. We have had some sessions here on the creative side and we all burst out laughing how bad it is. Yep. All right, so that that's that. Yeah, it's going to be years. Uh, that's our opinion. Um, but from AI being employed to work within Google and Meta, it is yeah. a complete disaster at the moment. It will work itself out, but it could take a year or two and it is creating havoc. You, you know, well, what's an example of it being a disaster? What? Well, 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 all right. Uh, we set up a campaign for Google, and the first thing that comes up, it says you have a trademark issue and you have a copy, yeah. copyright issue. I go, well, that's bullshit. That's bullshit yep. because we own the vision and we own the the audio, so there can't be any trademarks or um, copyright issues in there. So that's that's number so one. Is, is that a blanket search bot that? Well, that's what they, they're not telling us that, but I finally yesterday in a discussion with one of them said, are yeah. you using AI to vet that first? And he just went blank. He didn't say a word. 
I said, well, yeah, that, that, gives, that just, gives me the answer, right? Yeah, I can't tell you because there's probably some legal issue there, so they're now, not allowed to do that. Well, it could be. Yeah, it could be. And then I, I said, but we've got to get to the bottom to fix this because, you know, I, you have to do certifications, certificates. Yeah. And it goes on and goes on and they silo their different departments. So YouTube, which is Google, is a silo in it to itself. Then yeah. Google is another silo. And then AdSense, which is Google, is another site, and they don't talk to each other. So if I, uh, I said to you, so how do I get rid of that trademark? How could someone have a trademark? You know what I found? It was a word in one of the band's names. It had picked it up and said, no, well, that's a trademark issue. Well, that's okay, just yeah. on a legal basis, that's just not true. No. It is not true. And on a copyright basis, you know, it picked up some you know, name of the song or whatever, and said, well, there's someone owns that. Yeah, of course, we own it, you dodo. That's us. <laughs> and so, but, you know, to get to get those relinquished and taken off is a nightmare. You, you, you know, it is, it's taking up so much of our time, which takes away from our ability to, to market our artists because yeah, we're yeah, having to cool. fight with them to get, because I, I need it to work. I'm prepared to pay them. I, I like to pay. You know, I've got some campaigns running at the moment where they're not charging us for them. I don't know why they're not charging us, but we're getting all the results on YouTube. And I said to them, look, someone said to me, why bother? You're getting it for free, so leave it. I said, we don't want it for free, Rob. We want to pay because okay. we want the results and we want the analytics and because that's how we learn how to do the next marketing campaign. Yeah, right, yeah. Right? Yeah. And... And he goes, that's not my problem. That's YouTube's problem. I go, what? I said, you're Google. You own YouTube. You're... And it, this is where we're at at the moment and that's AI, what it's doing, and it is a nightmare at the moment. And, um, you know, a lot of people won't see it because they see the front ends. But from, yeah, the, back, right. from the back end, that what, what's the issue with that? The time taken up to do it means it's a time I don't have to market or do a post for Virgin Soldiers. Okay, and yeah, that, right. that's to your detriment because I'm yeah, fighting yeah. still with them trying to fix that. So we've got some huge issues with AI coming up, um, and we'll talk about about those separate because I can get right down to the detail. So hopefully it'll help some people. Uh, you know, you know, I wanted to ask another question. Sure, is there a scene for the aged musician? Is there oh a- yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd, Mike Rudd is one guy that comes to mind, one artist that comes to mind. I mean, he's out there gigging every week and he, you know, he's still pulling a lot of people and filling rooms. I think there's a lot of artists out there that I know that I work with that are still out there creating new music and touring with it, which is good. I mean, there's the tribute thing to me is probably a little bit overblown, but, you know, you have to learn to be able to play those songs of other artists. So at the end of the day, it makes a better quality musician. Yeah. Yes, and hopefully that'll reflect in their own original material if they get a platform to do that on. Which, as I said, you know, Mike Rose an interesting perspective for that. And I know Gil Matthews, you know, and his mob, Marty Rose, and all that. They're all out there. They're all gigging. They're all still gigging. They're a generation before us, and they're still out there doing it. You know, we've got a thing over here where Johnny Bywaters sort of runs it, um, and that's a monthly thing that they do here. And all those musicians are getting up and playing. So yeah, definitely. They're still out there, they're still active and I think it's vital that that community exists because you know, it makes everyone last a little bit longer, I think. Yeah, look, I, uh, <clears throat> I tend to agree. I think that, you know, the, uh, the, 
the ability to be creative online and put your music out to the world is more accessible now than it ever was. So the um, the heritage artist or, or, or heritage musician can do anything anybody else can do at any age. They have a platform but then we're going to pull that back to what you said we have to educate them on how to do it because it's all there available for them, free of charge. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah I think that that's the key issue. And, you know, what I would come back to, as I said, Marsha Langton's point that she made at the seminar a couple of weeks ago, you know, it is about educating the older generations of Australians. You know, that's on a, you know, a completely different issue. But as musicians, I think that's important as well to keep people educated to keep up with the changes and what's going on and how to get what we create out there, whether it be art, whether it be music, you know, whether it be poetry, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's all art. Well, um, that's right. And, and the technology that's related to it, something that comes as soon as you say that, the education process, I what comes to mind for me is that I go, you know, I always tagged the aged person like myself or older that they are iPad users, right? They sit there with their iPads, you know. And I don't know. Yeah, read, yeah, their, I read their books or do whatever they do. Yeah, I still like a, a real book. I like the tactile sensation. Yeah, of a book. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know you. I didn't know you could buy them anymore. But anyway, put books. The, yeah, uh, there's no oh, book. Come shop. over to my house. I got plenty of. Them. There's no bookshops. There's no bookshops around here. Um, yeah, there are. There's plenty. No, not around uh, Richmond. No. Um, so we've any, got little. We've got. Um, like free ones in the street, the people around the corner from us, there's a couple of them, they actually put out books. There's like two or three little doll houses they put out the front of their house and they're community bookstores and people come in and they swap books for nothing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, and that, it's that, a great little community. The swap thing, thing yeah. The new bookstores, yeah. I think, are on the nose. Yeah. Very yeah, far, a, few they, between. Yeah. There is new bookstores still around. So I, you know, that's how I kind of tagged it, which is, a, a, um, which is not good because it's not true. Now, how does that relate to... Social media, very important because when we do our marketing, I might have said this to you in a past uh, discussion, is that we market to mobile phones and computers. We do that because we know from our statistics, and I'll give you an example, that a mobile phone advertisement or something to do with music gets a click or a like far more quicker than a computer then then goes down to an iPad that then goes down to a TV. So, for example, I've got, uh, let's say, I'm doing a campaign right now on Craig Horn and the Hornets. You know Craig, don't you? Oh, I do, and I've just read his book, Line of Blood. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, he's given me a copy, but I don't read, so um, I'll have to. Oh, mate, you've I, got I'm, to read it. I'm going to have to sit on the beach and read it. Craig's brilliant and wonderful writer. He's a good so, buddy of mine. He's helped me through well, my thesis. Well, Thanks, he's, he's laid a song, and, we, and actually you could, you could, um, you could, Come online to our Facebook page tomorrow because at about midday we will be doing a live show from my deck upstairs. Uh, oh, fantastic! The MCG behind us with Mike and Jeff Burst uh, with Craig and Jeff Burston. Anyway, his latest song is uh, Wasteland, which is yep. a video out for now. We're marketing those two. The I think I put Craig in. Con- in- Touch with you when yeah, I interviewed him. Absolutely, you're probably the one that uh, got I him. Did you know, that. Get him to come. I was the gateway to Lane One. There you go. <laughs> and, and I and I appreciate it because his music is so good. Now, so we go is, yeah. to Wasteland, which is the newest one. There's we always now do a sixteen by nine video, and we always do a vertical video for phones, right? 
that's good information to have. Very difficult to do because how do you keep the artist if he's moving around on the screen on a 16 by 9 in the vertical, okay? It's it's a difficult thing. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I do, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Re- really yeah. hard to do. You've got to do it in the editing and you can post do it in the editing because we can get the, the vision to move around in that vertical. But it takes time. So is that necessary for the, the medium when you Absolutely. upload it or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have to do now, we're doing two video uploads to YouTube. It'll be yep. the 16 by 9 and the vertical. So then we go and market those, okay? Let's have a look at that one. It's been up. It was released on December the 15th. The vertical video has 15,500 views. And wow. the the landscape, 16 by 9, high def one, has 4,200. Now, let's look at the next stat. Next stat. To get comments on videos, pretty difficult. A lot of our big bands get a lot of comments. So let's use Spy versus Spy. They get two yep. or three comments a day, okay, and that's a lot. You know, you go over yep. here, that's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Now, then you go to, though, the likes, and that's the important one. The comments are not as important. They are, but not as. The likes on the vertical, which is at 15,500, we've got 700 likes. On the landscape, 16 by mm-hmm. 9, I've got seven likes. So Wow, okay, what, interesting. What, now, now, come on, you you know, mate, you got your doctorate. What does that tell you straight away? Why is that the case? It's the mobile phone. It's your your thumb yeah. is going to go like straight away. It's so easy. I'm holding it in my hand. I'm watching the damn thing. And, and boom. Yeah, I can just go like. Now, on the computer, a bit harder, got to come down to the bottom of the screen, press the, you know, the thumbs up, and it's a little bit more difficult, okay? Then go to an iPad or to a TV. An iPad, sometimes you can't even see the bloody like button, all right, because it's... Is that right? I'm, yeah, because it reformats. I don't own an iPad, so... <laughs> right, well, it's a bit, bit more difficult to actually do it, and then you've got to go down and you know, and find it. You might have to come down the screen, scroll up. And when you go to a a, Mac. Well, no, then go to a, yeah, (laughs) then go to a TV and you haven't got a hope. I mean, you'd have to get, now I've got, I don't know, whatever we've got. We've got a pointing device, so I've got to try and get that. That's like a nightmare. Yeah, but you tell her you've got a remote control. You haven't really got. Yeah, and on the remote I've got a pointing device, so it's really difficult. And if it doesn't have that, it has the four arrows, so I have to go down that way. Um, okay. Of course, on another TV, and this will be a thing of the future, I have a little keypad, a mouse pad, right? Now, until that's common, because then you can you can go around it, it you can just yeah. forget the TV. It just, you're wasting your money marketing on there. So if if you think about that, every time we go to market, the first thing we do is we right. exclude TVs and iPads or tablets, we, we say tablets, right? Yep. And we stick to iPhone, uh, to mobiles and computers. Yep. And remember, yep. a Microsoft Surface Pro, which I use, which is a tablet, is that's considered a computer because you have a pointing device and it's bloody Windows. It's just Windows all over. So um, so there's all that, okay. you know, that, that's getting down to some detail. And there's a lot more detail than that. But that straight away... I bet you when the novice goes to advertise, they would just pick your advertise. That's it on that. They would never go So you've got to, re- you have to refine that down to mobile yeah, phone. Yeah, and you've got the to. the return, isn't it? You've got to find it too, Rob. You know, what they do in Google or a Meta, they hide those because they don't want you to exclude them. 
Well, you need to do Vincent's tips. No, yeah. You need to be able to educate people on how to do that, Vincent. Yeah, it, you know, but it, but it, but you've got to really delve down and I sometimes miss it. I go down, oh, no, no, to get to the end of the campaign, I go, no, don't say, say confirm. You should publish. do a YouTube video. Yeah, I should, but <laughs> see, but how do I get time next? We're doing this each week, so. Yeah, right. um, but we will talk about those things. We'll we'll spend a session on that detail, right? That'd be good because um, it is really important. So you I'd know, like to do that. For, but see, then I, I I'll drag it back again to you started the conversation with. We need to educate the the aged musician or the heritage musician or the more mature musician, and I went. I'm not sure what you're talking about, but now yeah. I do know what you're talking about, and we've fleshed yeah. it out a bit. And yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of learning, and that's when I then go back to and say that a lot of your middle aged bands that sound great are going to struggle because that's the kind of detail you got to get, and they'll never get to it. And you can't because you're trying to do too much. Just with the band is a bloody business in itself, you know. Yeah, it is. I mean, but you know. It's, it's- it comes back to time management, you know, like anything you do these days is all about time management and you know, being look, able I, to some get of the that bands, concept happening. Some of the bands I talk to in the in the middle aged sector who sound quite good, I discount straight away while I'm talking to them to bring them on the yep. same way because they're talking about doing tours and all that. And I think to myself, now hold on, I've just gone on to Spotify and look at YouTube and I can look around and there's no streams, there's no views happening, the video's out, a great video and it's had 200, uh, 200 views. I go on to Spotify and it's under 1,000, so it could be 10. Yeah. And um, and they're, and they're just talking to me about, well, we're going to do an East Coast tour. You know, I just have a chuckle to myself. With what? What you need first before you can do that, you need to get that social media happening and you need to have that bubbling away and then you can start thinking about a tour. A tour? I mean, a band that's, yeah, that's established is struggling, struggling to do a tour. I mean, the, the interesting, I don't know whether you've seen it yet, but um, my wife, I was actually out practising, but last night my wife was watching the Shania Twain video oh, movie. Yeah, 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 on, yeah. Yeah, saw that. And the, she had the biggest selling album at that stage. I can't remember the Oh, second mate, album huge, or whatever she had, huge. and she never toured. She went in and recorded the next album, which was the biggest selling That's female right. artist in yep. the world. Yep, and she never toured. Yeah, what she did, she had wrote and made sure that she had twelve singles mm. off that next album, and then once that was established, she wanted to go out and play that. But she had sold millions and millions of albums without even touring. And we're sitting there looking yeah, at each other, myself yeah. and my wife, going, that's completely opposite of what mm. you'd think. You'd have to go mm. out and tour to be able to promote the album. She didn't Absol- do that. Absolutely. Look, that that's was, the- remember, it's a phenomenon. And on top of that, that that album did, you know, every song was a killer. Now, come on, how yeah. many bands do you listen to now? Two good tracks if you're lucky or one really good track and then there's all these average tracks. And there's some, yeah. some of our acts who are quite prolific the moment and I've been mentoring some of them and going through and we have this discussion. So they're getting ready to write their next song because we try and make sure you put, you know, a band puts out a song every six weeks now. Yeah, yeah. Forget the album. The album's dead. That's a consolidation of the last one. Yeah, that was from the last conversation we had. Yeah, and so. That little fact, yeah. um, And so, you know, I've been mentoring some on it and 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 the results are are coming out and we can, I'll have to talk to them and see whether we can talk about it. 
in the future. But um, and I go through this, you know. Well, the owl, if you can if you can write me uh, uh, ten tracks and they're all driving and they're uh, you know real driving force. If that's your style of music and um, they're accessible. I won't use the word commercial. They're accessible, and they uh, yep. and they affiliate with radio listeners because the majority of the population has been educated on radio. Now that's changing now. There'll be playlists, but uh, they've been educated on radio. So a self-indulgent song doesn't work. Uh, you need to have. They need to be real killer tracks. And let's let's try and break down what is a killer track. And why is it a killer track? And and you know, therefore, what are you writing? And we've been working on this uh, on one particular act specifically, more so than others. And the results are all coming home. I mean, mate. But it takes time. You know, it doesn't come home in two or three months. It comes home over twelve months, and then the pursuit yeah, twelve but, months. And, yeah, I mean, you know, it depends on the artist, I suppose, the work ethic. But. Well, well, see, I, I don't see because if you want success, that's part of your success. So it is, that's, yeah, that's my difference from you. I, do, you know, that if you want success, if you just want to put out music, that's a different thing. I've got some artists who are fantastic. I'll give you, I'll give you an artist who I think is fantastic. So I can use him. He's Grant Miller. Now Grant Miller was is a drummer. He used to play. Yep. He played with Defrine. Do you remember okay. Defrine? If you I don't, do, yeah. yeah. And there's a video on our channel on it, right? So have a look. That's that's. Uh, Grant. I think I've seen that. Yes. Yeah, and then he then went to work with um, Craig Johnson or Craig James now, as he calls himself, from Mother Goose, a singer. And oh, yeah. there's yeah. some new stuff out right now and that just came out in the last week or two. And he did that. And then he played in, a, uh, I think, cover bands, tribute bands and whatever. But he's a multi-instrumentalist, Rob. So, you know, he's a guitarist, mm-hmm. keyboard player, drummer and singer. And he's putting yep. out stuff now. I heard some of his stuff and I enticed him to release it and he's doing it now. And... Uh, Grant Miller, and he there's, there's no talk to he's not interested he's no talk going out doing shows doing anything he's just putting out his music, and he's n- not even pressuring us oh what about how many streams or whatever he's just happy to put it out and that's it yeah, and right. that's what he wants to do and I listen to it and go this is fantastic, I mean it's just great great creative music, so yep. yes there was that complete opposite where I just want to put some music out and don't bother me, Rob, okay? And that's it. Yeah. That's all I want to do. And then I've got the others that go, we want more streams, we want more gigs, we want to be big. So I can give you that other example where we've been working, I have to talk to the band, but and go through what exactly how we did it from, say, 12 months ago and what songs I pulled out to give them examples and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. it's, it's working. But that gets back to... Where's your audience? Who you who who have been conditioned by what? They've been conditioned by society to listen. Yeah, there's always there's always an exception, Rob. Okay, you can always give me an example of an exception, but I'm just saying about the majority. Yeah. And if you cool. want to get out there and you want to get the big streams and therefore do the gigs and then you know get into America, for example, where you should be, and um, uh, and have that success that you want. Of course, once you get there. Because I've seen all of this and worked with, you know, so many international acts, I couldn't even mention them, um, and whatever, is that once you do get there, well, that's a, just another story for another discussion. What assholes they become when they're at the top, okay? <laughs> and that's another story because, you know, you may dream about what Metallica might be like, but if you were there on tour with them 
and you saw what really happened, you know, or if it be uh, Sting or it be someone else. They're not nice people when they're at the top and fighting to stay at the top. And that's just a fact. But, you know, that's the business we're in. Anyway, that's a good note to, to finish up on today. Okay. I think. But And um, we've got plenty of points which we're going to discuss in, you know, the coming weeks and months and whatever. Uh, yep. And, uh, and uh, if anybody's interested in discussing something specific, we can always look at that too for them. All right? Yeah, click subscribe and like. Yeah, and I'm going to I'm going to hassle you more, Rob, on uh, your expertise, which is your education background. You can forget my education background; it's business. And nobody wants to know about that. But we want yeah, to no. know what what's going on from the education background in music and what is being found out there, because that's where all the research gets done. Yeah, mine's just. Uh, yeah, I mean, my particular field, you know, is like it's pub rock music. So, you know, um, really relevant that, in Australia, mate. Well, that is Australian, you know, to boot, really. Uh, mm. so, yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love to talk. I'd love to talk about pub rock and what the pub rock sound is. There's a specific. It was developed here in Australia, quite frankly. Well, that's what my research is about. I mean, we discussed it in the last interview that I did with you. You know, like. How it came through, and you know the the nature of what Lobby and Billy Thorpe and you know all those pioneers of that style of music. Mm. Um, mm. You know that's that oh, sound. I think, is, I think we could flesh it out a lot more. Quite frankly, it's um, yeah. Well, I have. I've written a hundred thousand words on it. That's and that's why we're going <laughs> and that's why we're going to pull that out of your brain and yeah, uh, you yeah. know and discuss it because that's yeah. all that knowledge base that you've got. Yeah. You know, but it's, I mean, for me, it's all based on personal experience because I've been playing in pubs, you know, for thirty years. So, mm. and just w- through the nature of my perspective and how I've seen it, so you know, there's a lot of other people with a lot of other stories. Um, you know, and I speak to a lot of people of what they actually think that pub rock sound is as well. So, oh, look, I think um, I think what's important too is just to say, look, uh, I'm based in Melbourne, and Rob is based in Adelaide. Yep. Um, you know, okay, from my perspective, it's Laneway Music, but from Rob's perspective too, if anybody's interested, you know, because you're doing tutoring also uh, in drums, Rob's based in Adelaide and, um, you know, you may want to contact him and whatever. And we will we will talk about the book too. Your, uh, you know, it's, what, what do I call yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, I've got, you know, book? Do I call it a I've tutor? got my own YouTube channel as well. I've got Rob's yes. Drum Shed, which, you know, my, my book foundations, which is, you know, it's available on all platforms from Amazon to yeah. Booktopia. I mean, it's available in Drum Tech in Melbourne. Yeah. It's available here in Derringers and Adelaide. So, you know, my, my book is out there, which is my, you know, some notion of a, a couple of different levels from foundation starting level through to intermediate for drummers. So, you know, that's what that's about and how and, and let's come have, about. And let's have a session too on buying a drum kit because I'm out of touch there. Because I use that Roland TD17, and I am my old pre- yeah. Well, pre- I'm finally tuned at the moment because I think I sold eight yesterday, and I've wow. been selling pretty much that many every day that I've been working. It's you know, just- um, but what what I don't you know what I don't know anymore is what are the real new fittings and and whatever and how good they are and uh, yeah and the maple, lots of great product yeah. yeah and the maple shells and all that and you know the different sounds and you know. And look, I, you know, on a sad note, my cousin died two weeks ago who was a drummer oh, also. Sorry, yeah. He used to play a see-through Ludwig kit, 
Do you remember those? Vista Light, yeah. Mate. I sold a few of those. And I was sitting there during the funeral and I was thinking about I was thinking about that drum kit because it was always unique. It was a blue one. And I, I actually played it on a video. He loaned it to me once. And I thought about the 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 shell and how did they round that and get no seam? You know, stuff it was crazy stuff I was thinking about. So I'd like to talk to you about that because you must know about that stuff. And why could they get a decent sound out of that? Um, yeah, it hasn't got as much tone. It's just very loud and very raw. But that goes back to the, the period of time that they were bought out. You know, yeah. come back to Zeppelin and just, you know, because Bonham was probably one of the main drummers that made those kits. I didn't know he you used know? one. Did he use one, did he? He did, yeah. He had a Vista Light, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. then he went to stainless steel, you know, like which was the last kit that he used, which is. Oh, well, we're going to talk and we're going to do a session on that because that to me is, I love, I love talking about that. I just, and, you know, and some of the saddles too, you know, to sit in, oh, man, um, just unbelievable. Yeah, you know, they're, they're now, you know, you're looking at about four or 500 bucks. Oh, I looked at one, it was 1100 the other day, Drummer's Paradise. Oh, yeah, that's the one for Bone specialises in. So. He, of course, he said he'd do me a nice deal, but yeah, wow, yeah. I sat on that thing and went, this is fantastic. <laughs> you know, and then yeah. we'll talk about symbols too. That's another thing I've lost track with. You know, um, yeah, I've got yeah, yeah, I've got plenty of them. Because well, if I play live, <laughs> the kits there, the it gets hired for me, and it's just sitting there. You know, so I don't kind of I go, what have you got? And they might go, well, we've got a Premier kit, and we've got a Yamaha kit, and the yaddy 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 or whatever it might be. And I just go, oh, I prefer that. Let's go with that, but I don't really know much about it anymore. Anyway, we're going to talk about that because that's another education process. Easy. I'll indulge. All over that one. Oh, fantastic. All right, Rob, it's been great talking to you. I hope you enjoyed this first episode of uh, uh, Laneway Talks with uh, Rob Rob Bounty and Vince Donato, and um, we'll get this up as soon as possible within the next five days or whatever. Great, And then we'll we'll get back together in another week or so and let's do another one and let's just continue these, these on. But um, I'm hoping that you see the relevance in them and that you enjoy doing them, okay? Yeah. Merry Christmas to all. Yeah. Merry Christmas to everybody. All right. Mm-hmm. And more, more rock and roll, I say. It's all about the music. Keep it rocking. Yeah, absolutely. All right, mate. Keep so, making it and keep listening to it. See you, buddy. Bye. See you. Thanks, Ben. Cheers. Bye. Well, there you have it, another Laneway Talks. If you enjoyed that, just search Laneway Talks for more great conversations. G'day, folks. Mark Allen here and... The Ox, David Schwartz. Uh, And we've started a brand new podcast called... A Couple of Blokes, A Couple of Beers, and we're just chewing the fat. A Couple of Blokes, A Couple of Beers, with Ox and Marco. I'm thinking about whitening my teeth just so when I smile... There's a new episode every Wednesday. Have you got a weight issue? Of course I do. (laughs) It's a stupid loaded question. A Couple of Blokes, A Couple of Beers, with David Schwartz and Mark Allen. I'm eating the kids' Maltese. You're eating their Christmas present. I am a piece of garbage. (laughs) Listen wherever you get your podcasts.